it's like whatever it is when you feel like you're not good enough or you're not accepted by your peers and people won't love you for who you are and there's nothing you can do about it all right welcome back everybody for another episode of comeback stories so today's guest mike bayer aka coach mike he's a new york times best-selling author podcast host a sought-after speaker, and the founder of Cast Centers, one of the country's top mental health and addiction treatment centers. Mike, man, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Double Ds. We've <laughs> <laughs> never been called that before. That's first. Uh, yeah, I can't complain. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I just actually came from working with a woman who is making a decision whether she would go be homeless and live in her car or make a decision to get sober. And as you guys know, you and I haven't worked with a lot of people who, who have an ability to get sober without getting honest. And so her life is covered with lies. And I think that's really the theme of any great change is just getting to that point of rigorous honesty. I love a lot of your acronyms and a lot of your uh, nuggets, and I know we're going to dive deep into those. We always try to start in the beginning and dive right into mm. your younger years. Can you just tell us a little bit of, about what growing up for you was like? I love that. I've, I've listened to some of your episodes, and you know, it's interesting. Everyone has a different upbringing, and we all have a different relationship to our upbringing. And for me, I'm the shortest male of three. I'm six foot five. I think Daryl has me about an inch. And depending, I don't know if, if height in basketball, they always exaggerate it. So uh, I'm not sure if they do the same in football. But I was the shortest male, kind of destined to play basketball. Uh, really liked basketball. You know, again, it's interesting. We grow up in certain families, so we end up doing certain activities. If I grew up in another family, I don't know, maybe I would have been a knitter. You know, but my family, sports were, was an important aspect of growing up. and. I eventually went to this high school called Modern Day High School. It's kind of a big football and basketball school. I was captain of the basketball team. I was went with the homecoming queen to uh, homecoming student body vice president. I could always hang out with different people, but yet nothing really had me feeling okay. Uh, I started doing drugs at a young age. And for me, Part of my story, and I know you guys talk about this, is what was that painful moment or what was the real challenge? And for me, I didn't want to be gay. I didn't know what it was. I just knew I didn't want it. And I think that I felt like a weirdo outcast and I couldn't put words to it. And I also felt like I couldn't tell anyone about it. And so I carried around a lot of shame and shame is like one of those cloaks of toxicity that just starts seeping into all areas of life. And still to this day, like I'm challenged in certain arenas. Like I have friends who are professional fighters and then I'll have friends who are extremely flamboyant. And I've always been that guy who brings people together and I'm friends with all different types of people. But I didn't see that growing up. You know, I grew up in a good family and I started doing drugs and realize they really like drugs and drugs aren't for anyone. They're really fun in the beginning and then it gets progressive. And before I know it, I'm starting to do meth. And, but growing up, like was cool when I was stoned, you know, 
or like winning basketball games, but I wasn't happy. I was pretty miserable in my own skin. You touched on in a little bit the pain and how did you eventually work through that? Or did you have guidance and teachers? One of the questions we typically ask is who was one of your first real teachers? And that could be a, in a positive mm. way or a negative way, but maybe take us back to that first before the turning point, if you will. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we all have teachers and for athletes, our teachers are coaches. And some of these really prestigious schools, they're like, they're an amazing coach. But it's like, what are they really coaching me on? What are they really teaching me in life? You know, like, oh, it's so important to win. I was talking to a friend last week. I remember in high school basketball, we were in the state finals. And my uh, coach said something like, these are days you're never, ever going to forget. These are the best days of your life. All I remember is him saying that. I don't really remember that much else. And so I didn't have great mentorship in athletics, I would say. I had mentorship on how to win, but not on like how to get along with others. There was kind of fear of your coach. There were consequences if you didn't do things the way he wanted, which is just odd, in my opinion, with coaching, because there should be some school that coaches go through because coaching someone is so much more than, as you guys know, just winning a game. My parents started sending me to therapy at a young age, and that was the first time that I was ever able to get vulnerable and get honest. And at the time, it was the first person I said, hey, I think I'm bisexual. And many people would be like, what's the big deal? Like, who cares? But the reality is, when you don't know what it is and you feel ashamed about it, it fucks you up because you just feel like something's wrong with you. And so that was the first person I started to talk to it about. So the therapist was able to create a space where you felt safe enough to actually speak that. Yeah. Yeah. Where there wasn't going to be consequences or, you know, I went to high school where you were graded on whether a gay person was gay or straight and you had to get graded on it in religion class. So I knew with a therapist, they were bound by laws so I could actually talk and it wouldn't be a rumor. I had fake girlfriends during high school and they were girls I would meet who I would do drugs with, who I realized were cool with me, like opening up that I wasn't into women. And so I would have them show up with me at parties and everyone thought they were my girlfriends. But, but eventually one of those girls ended up dating a football player at my high school. So my gig kind of blew up my senior year. But the reality is it's not even about like, like gay. It's just when you feel something's wrong with you. Like I know Daryl talks about, you know, I'm not black enough. And that was a thing. It's like wh whatever it is when you feel like you're not good enough or you're not accepted by your peers and people won't love you for who you are and there's nothing you can do about it, it starts to mess you up, you know? Well, and on the topic of therapy, because I think it's important, we definitely get all walks of life listening to these podcasts, whether it is an athlete or someone struggling with mental health. But I know from my own experience, when my life was so bad that I had to go to rehab and started to actually get therapy, the therapist was able to connect the dots. And that was like something for me that was so profound that I understood everything that led me into my bottom that led me into that moment in rehab crying in a therapist room. And so I wanted to stay on that topic because I think it's important to speak of it and give permission to 
to anybody out there struggling to go that it's not weak if you're seeking or feel like you need help. In fact, I believe that's a sign of strength to be able to say that, to own it and go seek some outside help. Yeah. And look, I've been sober almost 19 years. I've owned a treatment center for over 15. I've worked with some big stars and, you know, I'm on TV now coaching people. And I don't know, I saw a therapist maybe like three months ago. And to me, it's like I do jujitsu now, like heavily for the past six months. The brain's no different. When I want to learn something, when I want to dig in, when you want to get deeper, when you want to realize like, why am I like this when I'm in a relationship or why am I like this with employees? I had this fantasy that I was such a good leader, but yet I'm acting like my dad or whatever it is. Therapy is just like exercise to me. And I still will go, you know, I know a lot of people struggle during COVID. I was one of those. I think we all were at one time or another. So I would go on Google, search a therapist, and then you look at them and you're like, can I trust that person? You know, their headshot's kind of funky. Like, are they giving me weird vibes? And why are they saying that about themselves? They're saying they're an expert in 30 things. I want the one who's like three things. You know, like, it's fun. It's just, it's this idea that we have to suffer to go to therapy is part of the problem with this idea of therapy because it's just, it's grow or go. Absolutely. I know as we transfer deeper into your story here at Comeback Stories, we love to kind of bridge the gap with successful people like yourself. And with that, I mean, like, we know that you're extremely successful and a lot of people may not be able to relate to being like a best-selling author or working with celebrities, but they can relate to a rock bottom moment and they can relate to those dark Mm -hmm. moments. So could you paint the picture for what your lowest moment may have looked like for you and the the feelings that came along with it? Yeah, and I, I can tell you, like, I sucked in school. I did terrible in English class, even when I tried. I got held back twice. I'm not a great writer. I wrote two New York Times selling books, but I never thought I would be a writer. The opportunity came and I said, I'm going to do it. And it's hard for me to write. It's so hard for me to write a paragraph. I'll reanalyze it 15 times. So I wasn't born to do this. It takes a lot of work. But when we work at it, we can change. So I just want to share that part that I did terrible in school, even when I tried. And even when I was sober, it was still hard as hell. So it doesn't mean it's just going to suddenly come easy. You still have to put in the work. And the bottom for me is like, I mean, I did meth, you know, and at first you do meth and it's enjoyable to clean your kitchen. And then all of a sudden, by the time you're done with meth, your kitchen looks like your bedroom and your bedroom looks like your bathroom. And it's just a hot mess disaster. So, you know, I thought I was possessed spray paint my place red in New York. I went to play basketball at Fordham in the Bronx, but I never went to practice once. Cause I was like, I'm in Manhattan, you know, like I'm, I don't want to play basketball. I don't want to wake up at 6am. Are you kidding me? But the bottom for me was like, dropping out of school. I was so paranoid. Like I would think that people were giving me vibes. So if I went to Starbucks, I thought the lady in line would look at me a certain type of way. And I would think that she knew something. I thought there was cameras in the people to my door. I couldn't stand myself. I dropped out of school. I was about 90 pounds less than I am now. Had bumps on my face. I still got a little scars, some memories from that time and just miserable and like just unhappy. And I remember just looking at myself in the mirror and I, I believe 
you know, we all can create an opportunity for change. It's just sometimes that change shows up in really mysterious ways, right? We're like, how the hell did those dots connect? Is there a God? Like, what the heck is that thing in this moment where time gets still? And all of a sudden, we get to make that decision. And for me, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was sick of being a loser. You know, it's like, I didn't think I was smart. I didn't know how people held jobs. I forget this part of my story a little bit, to be honest, because I was just such a disaster. I smoked weed all day, every day. I was trash can for drugs and just no purpose. That's the thing, you know. I always think it's just so interesting in culture, and I'm just going on a riff here, but, you know, and, and that in some culture, it's like, it's cool to smoke weed. Like, oh, this is how much weed I smoke a day, and that's so cool. It's like, no, man, you're just more insecure than other people, and that's why you're getting more hot. Oh, that's so, oh, the blunt's so big. Congratulations. You like put together a bunch of paper and rolled some shit in it and you think you're cool. Now that shit was cool in high school. You know, do the gravity bong in high school. Now you're an adult thinking it's cool. Anyways, that's me repping because I just think it's like since when is, oh my God, you're smoking away your insecurity. You're a badass. You got to tell us the story about the sugar mama. Oh Lord. (laughs) <laughs> no, you listen to me talk Cliff about talk. Cliff Notes version. Yep. <laughs> I have not had sex with a woman. Still to this day. Now, my straight guy friends will say to me, well, maybe you're not gay because you haven't had sex with a woman. I'm like, no, dude. Like, you haven't had sex with a man and you know you're straight. So some people can experiment. I'm like, the people who can do both, that's amazing. But I had this woman that I met in New York and she was like a big supermodel. I met her at a party. And I remember she just like came really aggressively towards me. I remember she just took off her top on in the dance club. It was a gay bar. And for whatever reason, she was so crazy that I was like, I want to hang out with her. You know, she just seems like fun. She was a bit older and she had a real fetish for getting gay men to have sex with her. And uh, she also had a very large collection of stuff trying to get men to get turned on by being with her. I think that was her thing. And I was one of those people. So she would send me a car, cook me dinner, buy me drugs, take me out. I still never had sex with her. She was very dark. And I think whenever someone does something to an extreme measure, whether it's violence, drugs, sex, stuff that if you do it too much, it starts to strip away your soul a little bit, I feel like. She had that thing and all the artwork in her house had women with devil horns. And I remember we were laying in bed one night and I explained to her that something looked really weird in her bathroom and her artwork. I mean, I was tripping, but like the heads would be spinning in front of me and it was weird. Her vibe was so weird. And who knows, maybe she wasn't hot. Although I looked her up on Instagram a few months ago and I was like, she's still alive. I'm just like afraid ever to say the name. But basically, like, she leaned over to me one night. And at that time, I was believing in, like, negative energy and darkness. And you got to think, I'm the guy who, like, basically religion was telling me how if I was gay, it was a sin and it's wrong. So, of course, I'm not, like, going that direction. And then I'm like, oh, there's this weird vibe. I had never believed in, like, religious life, like, meaning, like, that's the devil or that's a saint. Or that's an angel. We're all humans. We're all freaking humans. Like, no one's better than anyone else. However, 
some people, when they go down a certain path, get a certain energy. And this woman had a very dark energy and she leaned over to me and gave me this really loud, like devilish sound when I said, yeah, I'm really kind of freaked out. She goes, don't worry about it. It's all good. And then she was like, <laughs> and I freaked out and ran out of her place and I didn't see her again, but I thought she was like trying to possess me. But that's the thing when you're getting high, like who knows what the reality was. You know, looking back, the story changes a bit because we were also under the influence, right? And so, but not one of my prouder moments. <laughs> like, it sounds great for certain people to be like, man, there's this woman, she's paying for everything, she's hot. Meanwhile, for me, I'm like, you got to get me so messed up to lay in bed with you naked. Like, I don't want even want to be in this. Like, what is going on here? Anyways, I'm... <laughs> no idea where we just went. No, no, it's uh, it's crazy. It's crazy, like the experiences that we can find ourselves in, you know, when we're under the influence. But one of the things I heard you talk about in that same episode was how important awareness was. And I want to ask you, where were you physically, you know, mentally, as when you came to a place of awareness of your situation and the things that you may have been cutting off, and realizing that, you know, the power was within you to change. Yeah, I, I think awareness is key to change, or some people would say spiritual experience, or some people would say moment of clarity, or, you know, I think th in terms of a bottom, there's always a bigger bottom, because we can always go deeper. Like, you can always go a little bit deeper. It could look a little worse, you know? And so, for me, I think my awareness was, this is not the man I'm supposed to be. At that time in my life, I was throwing away drugs because I didn't have much money. And I would find myself getting high again after throwing it out the day before. And I didn't understand it. Like, how can I have that little control that I'm going to do something that I don't even want to do? And, and I realized there's levels to this moment of I need change, right? Like, for a typical alcoholics and drug addicts, let's say, the I need change may be like, well, I'm just going to do wine coolers, or I'm not going to do pills anymore, or I'm not going to smoke weed, right? Like that's the first, oh, this one substance kind of got me. And then it's, it kind of layers, right? We learn, oh, from other people. That's not the way you do it. And I remember I went to this group. There was like 15 of us. I thought my issue was like, I don't know, like, being gay. So I went to this gay group and I was like, and now I need to go to the other side. I need to be in this all gay group. One dude in the group went to AA, like 14 of us didn't. The one dude who went to AA and went every week stayed sober, none of us did. And so then I was like, oh, maybe this abstinence thing is the way to go. And I think desperation can be a motivator. Also, you know, I started transporting meth that's not my style. I'm not a dealer. Like, I just want to party. And all of a sudden, I'm moving meth from LA or Orange County to New York. You know, two years earlier, I'm going to play basketball in college. And all of a sudden, I'm finding myself bringing meth to New York where I could end up in prison. Like, all these things start to add up and they create that awareness of this isn't me. I think, like, it takes having that, no, this is not me. This is not me. And the people who won't go there just will keep blaming other people. And I think I've always kind of been a seeker. I think like God 
universe, whatever prepares us throughout life. I think part of the reason for me going through that was so that then I could help other people. You know, you guys changed your life and that's why we're talking right now too, right? And having an impact on other people and on this world. And that is a gift. And who knows if any of us hadn't gone through a struggle because a lot of people may go through a struggle and they're still blaming their child. You know, they're 45 years old. I just worked with someone today, 39 years old, wanting to talk to me about their mom who's no longer alive. I'm like, let's get going. <laughs> are you going to own it now? Or are you going to keep creating that narrative? So I think it's just, we got to own our lives. No, absolutely. I hear a lot of things in there. I hear a little bit of the, the ninth step promises. Like we won't wish to, you know, forget our past or shut the door on it. You know, that becomes a gift. That desperation becomes a gift. All those things that we went through, you can kind of see how God was orchestrating that perfectly for our story down the road. And it seems like you really yeah. changed the story and the narrative that you were telling yourself. And how did you get into wanting to help people or being a counselor and wanting to open treatment centers? Like how did that vision develop for you? So I got sober at 22. I'm 41 now. My last time sober, like where I was like, oh, it's, this is the real thing. So I went to treatment. I never thought when I was using like, oh yeah, I'm going to be the dude who's going to help other people and be inspiring and tell stories of helping others be sober. No. Right? Like I thought I was going to open nightclubs or bars. Like I didn't even have this thought. When you get sober and you get a taste. <laughs> of authenticity and you get a taste of who you are and you get to realize that being vulnerable creates this spirituality that enhances life. For me, it becomes really attractive. And so at about six months sober, I started working in treatment while also working at coffee shops and YMCA refereeing on the weekends and trying to get any scholarship I could to go to school to become an alcohol and drug abuse counselor. And then I worked in treatment. I worked at a place called Hazelden, did my internship there in Minnesota. And then I did interventions for many years. So I went from being a counselor to doing interventions. And I opened up a West Coast office for this big intervention company. And then after a few years, I decided I wanted to open up a place that would help people, whether they had depression, anxiety, addiction, when you're not using it, it's like it's just another thing pops up. So I created something called the cast alignment model. My parents didn't want me to go start a treatment center. They were like, you have a really good job as an interventionist. What are you doing, Michael? And you know, you, you do what you can. And then it kind of just kept evolving. And then as I did more interventions, maybe because I live in LA or what have you, I started primarily working in entertainment with musicians. And so then I would help people all of a sudden get sober on tours. Then I was helping bands who were breaking up. Then it was someone having affairs. And then about two and a half years ago, I had no intention of ever doing television. I did it once. So I remember when I'm Katie Kirk and she asked me a question and I felt like she didn't care that she asked me. She just kind of like asked it to me. And I was so tired. I was so stressed out about this one moment of being on television. And then afterwards I passed out so hard and I was like, I'm never doing that. If this thing's not for me. Well, two and a half years ago, I was having a lunch and I was bringing together a manager of the Jonas Brothers along with another person, which was Dr. Phil. The manager was my client, a coaching client. I was bringing them together for lunch. 
and um, thinking I was going to be a good coach. I'm bringing people together and like creating value. And all of a sudden, the whole lunch flipped on me. And Dr. Phil asked me to go on an episode and they called me Coach Mike at that lunch. And then he told me I need to write a book. And then when he told me I need to write a book, in my head, I'm like, oh man, I hate writing books. Like, what on earth? I got to write a whole book? Like, how the hell do you write a book? You know, it's, it just kind of keeps unfolding. And you guys know. So you're big on acronyms. One we know from the rooms is how honesty, open minded, and willing. And man, a lot of the stuff that you share is like right in my wheelhouse. But even that experience, on the evolution of your career and these opportunities you got, it's still honesty, open-minded and willing, a lot more probably open-minded and willing to say yes to some of these things. And it's really cool to see how, yeah, our mess can become our message. And when we own our wound and we own our past, we write the ending. You said it earlier about childhood, how it's like our childhood makes up how we see the world today. If we haven't gone back and actually connected the dots. And I think, you know, guys like us in recovery who with our messy past and all the dumb decisions that we made in our addictions have led us to this beautiful moment, like me and you, uh, me and Darren talking to you. It's just every time I have a conversation like this, I'm just oozing with gratitude. And then when I hear the trajectory of your career and how it happens, it's just freaking cool, man. It brings up a lot of gratitude. What are you grateful for today? What am I grateful for today? Man, there's so much to be grateful for in this world, right? It sounds like you guys do a gratitude practice and it's like medicine for the mind, you know, because we get anxiety over so many things. But I'm really grateful for just having what I have. Like, I didn't think I would have my life be as full as it is today. Like I didn't, I didn't think I would own a home. I didn't think I would have relationships that were, you know, really honest. I mean, it sounded good, but I didn't have an idea of that. I mean, there's a thousand things I'm grateful for. I can just look around a room and find 50 things to be grateful for in the room. I say an attitude of gratitude keeps away the bad attitude, you know, and you're right. I love an acronym. Acronyms are so great, you know, like, and when you talk about how, and then I add a few things. So I create chow F. So adding like curiosity and then focus to it so that there's a little, oh, let me kind of explore and get curious and what's out there and also get really focused on what I want. I'm grateful for this opportunity. When you guys reached out, I was like, oh, it's awesome. Someone listened to Thomas podcast and hit me up and they're sober dudes. I didn't expect that because I don't come across a lot of people who are doing a lot outside of the treatment world who are sober. Like the fact, you know, Darren, professional football player, you're a coach that has a very rich practice. And I just think that's awesome. I have an empowerment group every Tuesday. So I have a free support group, which I'd love to have one of you speak at sometime if you want to. And I had another guy's Jared Gordon. I don't know if you guys know Jared, but he's awesome. He's another sober dude. Pro fighter. Yeah, I'm, I'm just grateful to be around this conversation right now, to be honest. Yeah, I know one of the things that you have to be grateful for as well is I heard you say that you love to help people turn their lights on. Like, you know, the light comes on in you and that you want to you know, help other people find that light in themselves. And one of the things we like to ask on here is if you had one 
140 character text or a tweet or something like that, like one, you know, that Mike Bayer quote, what would that tweet look like? What would you say to the younger Mike or somebody who is suffering or somebody who doesn't know how to get out of the mess they're in? Serious Mike or non-serious Mike? One of each. Yeah, a little bit of both, man. (laughs) Okay, Okay, the non-serious would be you better best yourself before you wreck yourself. Your fucked up ego is bad for your health. That'd be one thing, just more on a like, you know, confrontational front. I just think it's true. It's like you have to make a choice to really be better because life evolves around us. And what worked yesterday, we kind of got to repivot. I love it's grow or go. I mean, I just love that saying. It's a good reminder. I think always stay coachable. I remind myself. It always today, stay coachable. What can I learn from other people? Stay coachable. And I think that's a lot of my success, I would say, that I've had is not necessarily because I'm so much smarter. It's like I follow direction. You know, when Dr. Phil says something to me, the guy's been doing it for 50 years. Be coachable to him. You know, ask him questions, learn. So... I'm fascinated by how you threw in curiosity in the how acronym, which I think is amazing because connecting it to Darren's question, helping people turn their lights on, which as a coach, if you're going to listen, you have to be curious what gets in the way of active listening, right? As if we're distracted or we're judgmental or we're defending, which has nothing to do with curiosity. So I think from a coaching standpoint or just listening to someone because people love to, to talk. And I always say, people aren't going to remember what you say. They're going to remember how you made them feel. So that ability to listen, to ask curious questions, but also to get curious, like you just said, you didn't say it exactly, but the beginner's mindset, always growing, always learning, getting curious about what's possible and the work that we have to do on ourselves. Yeah. I am curious, by the way, what brought you two together to do this podcast? Like, what was the moment which you two were like, let's do this? We connected through Darren. Darren came public with his sobriety through the show HBO Hard Knocks, which is the behind the scenes that each year they do it for a team. And I'm watching it lying in bed with my fiance and he's talking about his recovery and they show him not going into a meeting, but basically talking about how he's about to go to a meeting. And I'm like, this is my dude. Like I came public in a yoga community back in Phoenix and Scottsdale. And that changed my life, like sharing my story. Where so long my story and my past buried me in guilt and shame. And I was building this yoga following and I wanted to have these big classes. So I didn't want everybody to know my thing. Right. But finally when I did some work and went to a leadership retreat, I realized I need to share my story because there's people dying out there. And my teacher would say, how dare we not share our story? So I had done the same thing on a smaller scale. I see him doing it. I'm like, that is my guy. I got to reach out to him. And we connected and he's just been like open and minded and willing the entire time we connected. We started coaching together. And as we're coaching, we're like, we got to create a community around this. Let's just start a podcast called Comeback Stories. And here we are. But did you like reach out by email and... How did you feel like you weren't being creeped? This was Instagram, probably, maybe, hopefully, one of the first messages he got pre-Hard Knocks or like during Hard Knocks, because obviously, like that platform, you know, his following grew immensely after that when people heard his story. 
because I've been working with the Phoenix Suns and some athletes back in Phoenix. And I just said, Hey, if you ever need anybody, like I got you. And he responded and we just stayed connected. And yeah, it's amazing. And why did you connect with Donnie? I'm sure other people would reach out to you with your message and everything. Like why Donnie? I love, I'm, I'm just flipping this. I, I, I do want to know. This is beautiful. Wow, this is dope. Um, I feel like a lot of people approach me, but not a lot of people approach me from a mindfulness perspective or a perspective of sobriety or just bettering yourself. It's always like a lot of, you know, people tell me how great I am or, you know, mm-hmm. like, like chicks in the DM. So it's like to see that it was very refreshing and it just felt like it was a connection that I needed to make. And then that turned into like the coaching sessions and him coming to my house and I stay at his house. And now we're currently in Sedona together, hanging out. So it was just like a very organic uh, friendship. That's awesome. Sedona is supposed to be magical. This would be your jam up here. It is um, very, very spiritual place. I mean, the red rocks and how the landscape changes as you drive from Phoenix which is, you know, hour and 45 minutes. It's very short, but all of a sudden you get into this valley and it's red rocks, vortexes, very powerful energy. It is as peaceful as you can, you can get, man. You'll have to make it up here for sure. You know what's a trip too is, is Darren, you're like younger. Most guys who are this interested in this type of stuff from my experience and the fact that you have a career in athletics is, is badass. Like it's pretty rare. Like a lot of 28 year olds, especially who have another career going on. Don't put a lot of time and energy into like personal development or self-help. So kudos to you. I mean, you're a superstar. I don't feel like I could sustain my career without this angle, without this element of my life. Cause I'm not pouring into myself or pouring into other people. You know, I don't feel empowered i don't feel energized to go out there on the field and perform or you know what i'm saying do my job like i need this so it's awesome to be here and to share this moment with you you too buddy i don't know, know if you know this but he is also a musician and he actually did the song the lead-in song for the podcast which hopefully will be released this week it's been jammed up i, I listen to some of his music and i love that one intro piece with like the guy talking with the background melody, there's like a, a background song with sounds like almost like an old wise wizard talking. Who's nerdy? Whose voice is that? I'm trying to think of the song that you're talking about. It's right here. I have it on my phone because I pulled <laughs> it up earlier. So it should just be right here. Hold on. I'll pull it up. It's the first song that pops up on Spotify. Okay, here it is. All right. I like this sound. I think it's like, it's really cool. Yeah. On, on Rhonda's You, right? Oh, yeah, that's what uh, Fowler is my best friend back home. He's like one of my producers. Okay, this one, OZ, OZF. Yeah, that's, um, that's, is my, this you? that's my friend. That's my friend's project. I have a song on there. It's the last song. Called okay, I'll have to check out the other stuff. So I was, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. shout out to Fowler. We're enjoying this, and I think we have a few more questions for you. There's some acronyms, there's some fire, some nuggets. Mm-hmm. Can you just share a little bit of that wisdom or maybe just let us know, like, what would you say to somebody who knows the biggest thing that's holding them back, but doesn't know what to do about it? What would you say to them? Well, I have a few thoughts. One is asking for help is a transaction. And so a lot of people say, I want help. But then the other end goes, okay, you want help? Here's the help I have to offer. And then somebody will go, well, that's not the help I want. So you have to remember sometimes 
And a lot of the time, people always go, just ask for help. But you got to be ready to do what it takes when the other end is saying, here, here's how I'm going to help you. Especially when it's free. You know, beggars can't be choosers when you're getting some free help and guidance. And I found a lot of people get in their own way because somebody extends their hand to help. But the person on the receiving end may just go, well, that's not the way I want to be helped. So one is it's transactional. Someone else is going to offer something. And so make sure you want what they have to offer potentially. The other is um, I create an assessment that's really simple. It's an acronym, SPEARS. It's S-P-H-E-R-E-S. It's a very simple way for someone to identify what area of their life they should focus on. So it, it basically, you would just rate from a 1 to 10 your social life, your personal, your health, your employment, your relationships, your education or evolving, and your spiritual development. And if somebody just goes through that and they kind of list out, okay, here's how I would rate it to be with like how content I am with it. It's a good way to measure what type of help should I even ask for or what type of guidance I should have? Because as I know you guys talk about, we all have blind spots and that's why it's so great with mentorship. And that's why I've found a lot of people, if I were to say, oh, what's most stressful in your life? They'll say, oh, I need to lose 10 pounds. But really, unless they kind of assess and look at their life and maybe they need to get better sleep, they need to be honest with their partner. And I love assessments. Like, I just think it's such an, a great way to figure out also purpose. You know, people often will talk about getting into purpose. And I say that the opposite of that is confusion and purpose really helps us identify the moment. So if we're at a party and we're like, what am I doing here? This sucks. You know, like, I don't understand. Like I'm not having fun. Figure out your purpose. Is your purpose to show up for your friend? Is your purpose to bring love and support? Is your purpose to have a conversation with someone who's staying in the corner? You can redefine your purpose because more often than not, when we get confused, we just need to go, all right, what's my purpose right now in the moment? And there's always a way to create that. And I also, I call it the four O's, you know, it's kind of obstacles into opportunities, make one decision and an outcome. And when you make one decision from a perspective of it being an obstacle, more often than not, you're not going to be happy with the outcome. If you make one decision based upon seeing as an opportunity, then you can let go of the outcome. And so, you know, I got acronyms for days. <laughs> but the people who write, like in my publishing world, they're like, no more. Mike, you gave us enough acronyms. I think it's the easy way to remember things, you know. You talked about looking for the window. And can you touch on that a little bit more? I know you've said it doesn't have to be rock bottom, right? And maybe you can and segue into, does that have to do with the one decision and why that word or that phrase, one decision matters so much to you to the point where you now have a book called One Decision? Right. Well, everything is one decision away from what we want. Like we make over 30,000 decisions a day. A lot of these decisions just are on autopilot or they don't matter. Or we can't control. But then there's decisions we can make that could significantly improve our lives 
or create a better experience in life. And so I think when we simplify it and boil it down to that, and when I've asked people that I've worked with, like my last book, One Decision, I had random strangers showing up in my house. Uh, I put an ad out on Facebook, and then I would have 45 minutes to help them make one decision. And it was tied into a specific one decision, which there's going to be an outcome and ripple effects. But there's usually a simple, significant one decision we can make today. And sometimes it is asking for help. But help could mean I need a trainer. Like I need someone who holds me accountable. I need to wake up at a certain time of the day. Or sometimes one decision is to be nicer to our spouse. And you're going to buy them flowers today. Sometimes it's really helpful to understand what is most stressful or creating the most anxiety in our own lives, because that's usually an indicator of where we need a little bit of relief. And so I like to help people identify, okay, what's causing you stress? What's one decision you could make to open it up a little bit? So I try to create pretty simple exercises. My last book, Best Self. You create your best self and your anti-self. My best self's a, mer- a wizard named Merlin. So I have wizards all over my house. I have a wizard all- covering my whole arm with my eye in it. You know, like I have to be reminded. I bring the wizard into meetings or if I have to speak. Because again, selfishly, life is better when we show up being who we truly are. Because then we don't second guess or question who we are. and We're just content. And then you create an anti-self. Mine's a male witch named Angelos. I just feel like witches don't hang out with anyone, especially male ones. You never see them. So I'm just like bitter and annoyed and complaining. And, and I just find with self-help, we, when we can add some humor to those dark parts of ourself and you guys know from the rooms, like we all laugh at things where other people would be like, that's awful or that's a tragedy, but we find humor. Absolutely, man. Well, we appreciate all that knowledge that you've been dropping before we get out. We like to acknowledge that. To write your comeback story, you can't do it by yourself. Is there one person that you would like to give a comeback story shout out to? Somebody that's been there for you to help transform your life, transform, help you write your own story? Is there one person you could pinpoint? All right. I've already, I already get Dr. Phil enough like turnaround shout outs. So I can't, he's, he's overdosed on it. I would say, I, and Mark Hertz is somebody, he was my original sponsor. He looks like a hippie. Like ponytail was a, you know, junkie was on methadone, like totally not even when I partied, not the type of dude I would party with, but there was something about him. When I heard him speak while I was in treatment, I asked him to be my sponsor. He was my sponsor for two and a half years. It was fantastic. Like such an amazing mentor in my life. And then eventually as I grew, I opened up a treatment. I opened up a center in Minnesota and I had him work for me. And it didn't work out. Like I tried, I thought I could open up a business in another city. I hired some staff and we ended up shutting it down. And I had someone else in my company call him to let him know that we were no longer going to be working with him, which I should have done. I was just scared to have that conversation. I was scared that like I was betraying him and I just avoided it. And so he ended up doing his own thing, became really successful because he's a brilliant guy. And then I hadn't talked to him really in about 10, 12 years. 
And now for the past, let's say six months, we speak every Sunday. We reconnected. I made amends. I own my part in it. And it's been really good to reconnect with them in terms of my turnaround when I was younger and also being a mentor to me as an adult. So I just, I appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to shout them out because it means a lot to me. Absolutely. Powerful stuff, man. Well, we appreciate you coming on and uh, spending some time with us. It's an honor. I know you're a, you're a busy man and you've made some space. You're busy too. I, we're all busy. We're all busy, busy. You know? This doesn't feel busy though. This feels like a gift. So we appreciate you, man. Where can our listeners uh, find you? Yeah, listeners can find me, Coach Mike Bear. And I have a free empowerment group every Tuesday on Zoom. We get you know 350 to 400 people from all over the world. It's free. People can join. Just go to my website. I don't upsell you on anything. It's just a free space where I bring in speakers and some motivation. So that's the best way to find me. Absolutely. Well, we thank you for being here, man. Hope you uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Appreciate you embodying what a comeback story truly is. And uh, I know lives have been transformed by listening to this. So thank you. Oh, thank you guys. Double D's. You guys are the best. Thank you. This is what I represent. Staying true till I'm six down. It might take a little bit, but every king's gonna get crowned.